0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt podcast and this week's part two of the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show recorded this Monday evening (laughs) as I so often do I fail in my mission of keeping the show to an hour or less I did think I don't know why I allowed myself to think this but I thought I would succeed for once as I forgot to turn my ringer off um Hey, I thought I was going to make it. And then I looked and said, oh, this episode's about an hour and 40 minutes long, you idiot. So uh, I cut it almost in half. So this is part two, this conversation from Monday night, picking up on all of your great questions organized by our friend Jerry Suddath. I'm going to tell you as well, since then, what have we had? More livery reveals We've had our friends at Rahal and Lanigan Racing announce that young Pietro Fittipaldi for the Indy 500 and the Detroit Grand Prix will have 5-Hour Energy as uh, their primary sponsor in the number 30 Honda. I think it was on Monday. Was it Monday? Tuesday? I forget. Uh, we had what I think is a pretty awesome evolution of the DHL livery. Lots of red added to the yellow that being on Alex Palou's number 10 Chip Ganassi racing car. How long is it going to take us to not think of Ryan hunter Ray or Roman Groschon, that car? Also happy to learn from the team that DHL will be continuing its pride livery. So we'll get that back at some point in time. That's been among my favorites in the series since it debuted. AJ Foyt Racing debuting Stingray Robs. Entry is number 41, prey.com Chevrolet. And if you take Pietro's Stingrays and Alex's cars and you look at all three of them and you say, what do they have in common? Well, apparently there's been a, a pretty big run at the livery store on the colors red, yellow, and black because all three are drawing from the same exact colors uh doesn't mean it's a bad thing just means that it's a little bit strange in one week to have three livery reveals and to go okay uh shouldn't y'all have called before you went to school because it's a little bit of a, a matchy matchy uniform thing going on here but nonetheless we have those that's been quite interesting i just filed six indycar related stories to racer.com i think we'll be seeing those go up two per day starting today this is thursday morning uh so maybe two a day today friday and monday i've got a lot more to write and file so I'm gonna get into indycar story avalanche mode since we are now two weeks away i'll be standing in the paddock at st petersburg for round one of the 2024 season here in exactly two weeks. i got a lot of preseason stuff I need to write. That's probably going to dominate most of next week. Uh, Got started on that, um, I don't know, last week. But yeah, heck a bunch more to write about. Uh, Got a feature, an in-depth feature that's a little bit out of left field, but that's been fun calling around and getting uh, quotes on. And then I think... Apologies if I'm forgetting whether it was Monday's episode or from last week, but one of our dear listeners had asked, "Hey, can you give us an insight what's happening with Dale Coin Racing, the last team to declare its drivers?" And I can tell you that again, as of Thursday, February 22nd, I am unaware of any drivers being signed for the upcoming season i think one might have been signed but in terms of a done deal that is announced to the world we have two cars zero drivers announced by the team since that question on monday or whenever it was where i think my answer was basically i appreciate the interest I too have interest, but I've got enough other things to do that it's not really something I'm going to chase too heavily. Well, since then, uh, I felt bad, so I did chase a little bit. And I don't have any hashtag breaking exclusive news to offer in terms of here's the confirmed lineup in the car formerly driven by David Malukas, at Dale Coyne Racing Honda, which earned a leader circle contract last year with young Davey nor do I have anything official on the second entry, the one driven last year by Stingray Rob that did not earn a leader circle. But I do have a a pretty good feeling for a couple of the drivers we will be on the clock to hear about or look for. I believe it was last week I mentioned Nolan Siegel, right? Indy Lights, Indy NXT race winner, young American hot shoe badass from my neck of the woods here, just right across the bay in Palo Alto. Uh, He's returning for a full season of NXT with the HMD Motorsports team, Uh, instant title favorite, having almost won it last year as a rookie. Mentioned uh, last week that hearing from some really good sources to look for Nolan in a car for four races with Dale, I've only heard since then that parroted back to me by multiple people. I think, again, this is just think, but I think we're going to see him uh, in that kind of call it primary entry. The one that was the uh, leading entry last year, at least with Malukas. I think we'll see him in that car for those four races. One of the races that I, continue to hear and believe is going to be a part of that four race package is the Indy 500. That would be a pretty interesting evolution, right? I don't know if we've seen this happen in IndyCar. Maybe it's happened before and I've just forgotten about it. And I mean, kind of modern era. I don't mean ever, ever, but usually when we talk about someone doing the Indy 500, uh, and that being the only oval they do with a full-time team, usually hear about that being in an extra entry for the indy 500 dale coin racing is not fielding an extra entry for the indy 500 nolan's participation or being on the entry list there i think would fall into a really rare category of a full season entry being used having that indy 500 drive put up and offered Uh, for a driver to hire. Like I said, usually it's someone paying to be in an extra car. The Indy 500 itself, within a full-season calendar, being offered as a one-off to a driver, that to me stands out as a fascinating development I honestly hadn't really thought of before. think we might see Jack Harvey, who I've mentioned, uh, and obviously he tested for the team for a couple of days, he was in the car for the first two days at homestead in january nolan was in the car on the third day i won't be shocked if i see jack in that car for a lot of the remaining races keep in mind there's 17 points paying official indycar races there's an 18th and i don't I don't know if we really call it a race race, but it is the all-Star race at the Thermal Club million Dollar challenge. I don't know if we call that a race or an event, again, however, it should be correctly phrased, but there are eighteen opportunities for drivers to be in a competitive situation this season. Uh, knowing that keep hearing Nolan will be in for four, that would leave the other fourteen i don't know if jack would be in for all 14 most half a few again i don't know but i do know that when i do get on that plane to saint petersburg i have it in my mind at least that good old jack would be in it's called the 14 i'm not sure exactly what numbers dale uh, will end up with but in that entry driven last year by david malucas Let me check here. I did text the team to ask uh, chief mechanics and race engineers and strategists for all cars. Yep, it is listed as the 18. Uh, That might be old news, and I'm just late to it. But So they are using the 18 and 51 numbers again. So, yeah, that leading entry, the leader circle car from last year, I will go to St. Pete and be fairly well convinced that Jack would be the one driving it. Granted, you'd hope such things would be announced beforehand. There's a test next Monday and Tuesday. Full field test, all 27 entries at Sebring. You'd think maybe whether it's Jack or someone else would be announced by the team before the test. So that could be today, tomorrow, Monday morning, who knows? The other car is... Maybe more of a a question mark, but here's what I've heard and here's what I feel confident in sharing in terms of things I feel like we're going to see. That oval model of the splitting the ovals versus the road and street courses isn't exactly sounding like it's going to happen with the 18 car, but it does sound like it might be happening with the 51. And so, what I've heard from multiple sources is Catherine Legg could be in for all the ovals, meaning the Indy 500 as well. So, an Indy 500 lineup with Nolan and Catherine, that would be a fascinating one. Keep hearing Catherine could be in for the ovals in the 51. I'm less sure of who would be in the car for the road and streets. Of the names I have heard mentioned, know that I've spoken about Devlin DiFrancesco a number of times in the last couple of months about having something associated with coin. Been aware for a little while now that that's not happening. Don't think I've mentioned his name there for a little bit as a result. Have heard Benjamin Peterson's name mentioned. I would love to see him back in the series and hopefully get another chance say that with an intentional question mark in my voice. I don't know if that's going to be a thing yet. I need to reach out to Benjamin and ask. The last time I called, he wasn't answering calls. This was when things had gone down with Foyt uh, and him no longer being a part of that team. So get that, but need to reach out to Benjamin and see if uh, what I've heard has uh, any merit to it trying to think of other drivers who've uh, been mentioned with that granted dale hope to have some possible formula two talent and similar in the car could that happen possibly believe i mentioned on the podcast i don't know month two three months ago that dale had asked for a couple of numbers for a few very talented f2 drivers and was able to get those and send those his way um I think I mentioned, who else might, might I have mentioned? Colin Brown, I think, um, is someone who had uh, I know that was of interest in certain areas within the team. I don't honestly know who's going to be in that 51 car at St. Pete or testing it next week. Uh, the only part of it I feel somewhat confident about is Catherine for the ovals slash Indy 500. Joked with a couple of folks that it, (laughs) it almost feels like Dale is setting up his first IMSA team uh, with two to three driver rotation per car for the year. So again, on the 18, could there be two? Could there be three? Don't know. On the 51, similar thing. Don't know if it's going to be two or three. Not totally confident who's going to be in the car to start the season. But it's been a little while since this has happened with Dale's team. And I don't love it for them. I feel bad for them. I know that they were pretty confident early into the offseason that they were going to have tons of great options to choose from And by great options, I don't just mean the ability to drive the car. I mean bringing a meaningful budget with them. It sounds like, for whatever reason, that has not panned out the way that they want. And here we are legitimately two weeks before everybody is in the paddock at St. Pete. And we don't know, and I don't think they fully know, who all is going to be in what uh, for both entries for the first half of the season much less the full season so hate this for them there's one other quick thing associated with this to mention and then we'll get rolling with the rest of the show as i take a big sip of water because we're heading out the door in nine minutes to head to both my wife's physical therapy session and also uh, workout day for me as well um it's hard for any driver who is bringing sponsorship. I think just about everybody I've mentioned falls into that category in some way, whether it's a tiny amount or millions. It's really hard for any team and any driver with this late of a call on who's going to drive to implement impactful marketing plans, promotional plans. Nobody's spending money to go racing in indie cars doing it just for the sake of spending money there are expectations to get marketing returns sales returns awareness return whatever it is you look at the aforementioned livery unveilings and such these are all things that have been months and months in the works you know 100 revisions back and forth along with all the promotional plans that'll go with the prey.com, DHL, uh, five hour energy, like tons of time, tons of work put in by people, whether it's at the big corporations down to the racing teams and some of their vendors in what are we going to do to maximize our partnership? Cause that's why we're here. That just becomes so hard when the countdown clock is where it is today for any of those drivers who will be at St. Pete thermal afterwards, long beach barber and so on just makes things really tough. There's the other part too, right? Hey, <laughs> uh, we, we need a racing suit that has all the correct logos on it. Well, if we're not locking all these things down and who knows some of the things might be, Hey, Hey, we have four sponsors to bring or whatever the number is that make up the sum total, of the money we're spending. And again, maybe we're still negotiating on some aspects of that with either the sponsor or the team, right? The sponsor might want this location and branding this size and the team might come back and say, well, maybe we need to move it a little bit over here and maybe it's of a different size. Well, it's hard to know exactly, how things are going to be laid out on a car the printing done on a fire suit on gloves on shoes on hats on whatever else crew clothing as well you just get into a really rough cycle this late in the game we're getting all these things done and printed in time it just becomes a huge ask of a lot of the vendors <laughs> you're getting to your hotel Wednesday night at St. Pete and you have giant FedEx or whatever boxes waiting for you in what do you need to do? Organize everything, go through the entire crew list of your 17 people per car or whatever it is. And okay, this person here is a size small. This person's a two X and you're having to do all these things at the track on the fly i feel for them uh i just feel for the dale coin racing team because uh they'll get it figured out they'll get it done they'll be there they'll race they'll do the best that they can we haven't even spoken about the competition side of how much time will one or more of the drivers have in terms of readiness to go racing at saint pete but it's just a tough situation so I have a lot of sympathy for them. I've been there in the situation at least once before in my IndyCar career, crew member, team manager kind of thing, and it just sucked, and you felt so bad. So uh, that's the note there. Let's say a big thank you to our partners with our little jingle here, and then we will get rolling through your show immediately after. can just cut straight in and get rolling, picking up. With the remainder of the questions, I think about 40 minutes or so from here on out. Time to say a big thank you to our show partners on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, starting with FAF Technologies, Build-to-Print Composites Manufacturing Company. They're specializing in medium-to-large-scale automotive, motorsports, and military applications. Visit FAFTechnologies.com. It's P-F-A-F-F Technologies.com to learn more about their services and how they can benefit your business. Next, it's the Justice Brothers, makers of premium additives, lubricants, and cleaners, and servicing the automotive and motorsports industries for more than 85 years. With victories in all the biggest North American motor races, including the Indianapolis 500, the 24 Hours of Daytona, the Justice Brothers products are truly race-proven. Learn about their vast history and range of offerings at justicebrothers.com. If you're fond of awesome motor racing collectibles, including FAF Motorsports McLaren gear and goodies, pay a visit to torontomotorsports.com. And finally, we have a new online merchandise home for the podcast, thepruittstore.com. For all the show stickers, models, racing memorabilia I'm trying to sell and put towards our fund to buy a house is now live and rocking, thepruittstore.com. Why don't we go to Ole O'Leary? Can you explain the business and logistics behind engine leases? I might be mistaken, but I think I've heard it mentioned in the past. That engine leases have prevented teams running extra cars at Indy. Uh, yeah. If you think about the 27 full-time cars that Chevrolet and Honda supply, and then you think about the fact that at Indy, going to add six more cars and then possibly another two to three on top of that. You have the staffing, the personnel on both sides of Chevy and Honda that are stretched to the absolute limit. It's not like they couldn't make an extra motor to lease. Even those do kind of get stretched thin. But you look at the 500, and once we start going over the 33, three entries that will take part in the race each additional lease is something where both manufacturers are having to pull folks in from IMSA and from whatever other series they might be in to take part and assist and help and even then you start to run out of some folks because it's not like some of the other series they compete in aren't fully active and uh, busy on their own so but yeah the engine lease uh, what is it? 1.2 ish million per year. You get four engines per lease per entry, those are meant to complete 10,000 miles in total. Used to be back in the day where they the lease structure said each engine must complete X amount of mileage totaling 10,000. Soften that a bit so if one does 2,400 and another one does 2,600 and so on, and you get to ten you you're fine inevitably you're going to blow motors you're going to break an engine you're going to have some sort of crazy stuff happen and it's not uncommon for teams their entries to go beyond four engines per season tends to happen later in the season you get through that fourth for whatever reason have to install a fifth indycar has a grid penalty system um, moves drivers back, I think it is six spots in road and street courses, and I think nine on ovals. And that entry also was unable to produce points in the manufacturers' championship. So, on the logistics side, uh, you have <coughs> Ilmore, which builds the motors for Chevrolet, Honda Racing Corporation US, which does so, they are owned by Honda. <coughs> they send tech transporters to each race not only for their personnel and technicians to work within uh, the engine techs engineers and whatnot but also you have the actual engine lease practice done as well where i don't know exactly how many engines each manufacturer brings to an event but they bring a decent amount of extras with them and again if there's an issue They will wheel a fresh motor over in its transport case and uh, put the outgoing motor back in it and take it and send it back to, again, Ilmore, HRC, U.S., figure out what's wrong with it, uh, fix it however they need, provided it's fixable, and put it back into the pool. Um, Getting kind of sorted down to the home stretch here. This one deserves a longer answer. Uh, Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan, sending in another question here. Loved it, though, so wanted to get to it. Said, my buddy and myself debate who is better, Scott Dixon or Dario Franchitti. Say, take Scott Dixon while my buddy takes Dario. I'm impressed with Dixon's six championships, that 500 win, and his overall consistency while my buddy takes Dario for his 500 wins and championships couple of quick things here so at the time of their last pairing i think dixie had three championships dario had four three on the trot two three on the trot with dixon as his teammate uh also won two additional indy 500s as teammate while they were teammates um At the time of Dario's retirement, he had four IndyCar championships and three Indy 500 wins. Uh, Dixie had three championships and what? Um, That 2008 Indianapolis 500 victory. If we're talking about, again, at the time of retirement, By the numbers, you would have to look at Dario Franchitti and say it was him. Uh, He was him. Add a little bit of time and context to that. Um, That's an interesting one. If we look at where things went, if we look at all that, Scott went on to win after Dario's retirement. Um, hard to ignore the fact that Dixie has taken things to a different level. And so none of that is speaking ill or critical of our guy, Dario. Also keep in mind that, I should say it, that, I don't know we if we, this might be a bit of a technical item here but dixie won the 2013 championship dario ended up crashing having that crazy crash not his fault um at houston and was unable to compete in the season finale Uh, dixie ended up winning that championship that being his third if we think of what was dario's final race I believe Dixie had two championships and that one in five hundred win. Sealed the deal at uh Fontana, the final race there. That was pretty darn remarkable. But would say the the big thing here to keep in mind is Dario while they were teammates to start had the upper hand immediately and held on to the upper hand so if you look at the what was it 2009 10 11 12 (laughs) apologies i'm forgetting uh let me just look really quickly here so i can uh, stop being dumb and wrong um when he returned to IndyCar, right, he left in 2007 <clears throat> after winning the Indy 500 and clinching the title with Andretti Green Racing, went to NASCAR in 2008, came back to IndyCar in 2009 with Ganassi, won the championship right away. Um, in Dario's absence in IndyCar in 2008, Dixon won... his second championship. Dario comes back, is now his teammate, wins the title in 2009, wins the title in 2010, and the Indy 500. Wins the title three years on the trot in 2011. And then in 2012, wins the Indy 500. Um, Over the five years they were teammates, Dario was the better driver, period. End of statement. If you look at the last two seasons, though, happened to be IndyCar's move to the brand-new Dallara DW12 chassis. Dario couldn't stand the thing. Um, style of braking was a, huge change for him that he did not love left foot breaking was just not that was not his thing and so he went from being the dominant guy road streets oh well didn't matter wherever you went Dario was the man three championships in a row heck if you think of it uh, in terms of full season uh, he won four championships in a row keeping in mind he uh, he didn't do the 2008 season. I realized he came back and did a one-off at the end of the year, but basically the guy won four consecutive championships when he ran full season. Um, moved to a new chassis, just didn't fit his driving style, and all of a sudden, seventh in the championship. That was the first year in 2012. 2013 was really the year that stood out to me just to close on this where the difference between Dixie and Dario was starting to really stand out. And I don't think more years in the DW12 would have taken things back to where they were with Dario being number one in the series. What we saw was Dixon, who's the greatest chameleon I've ever seen in racing, adapt to a new car in a... Faster, much easier way and so while ryan hunter ray won the championship in 2012 first year not just the new chassis but the new engine formula the twin turbo v or the turbo v6 formula also this is not taking away from hunter ray's title just sharing more insight for those who don't know honda got its butt kicked by and large in that first season chevrolet was just they were better period um Move to year two. Honda makes some improvements for sure. Dixon, super competitive. This 2013 season to me is one really where we start to see the Dixon chameleon learning, blending everything that's around him into his own. And although he couldn't touch Dario before, in terms of championship, even Indy 500, we just saw towards the end of their relationship as teammates, That was starting to tip in Dixon's favor. And so Dixon's adaptability is what ultimately moved him ahead of Dario, if not well ahead of Dario. Think about the timelines and their careers. I mean, Dario had planned on continuing IndyCar for a little while longer. Um, His IndyCar career started, what, five-ish years before Dixon. So just think about where he was in 2013 knowing he'd come into IndyCar in 97 so he's what 15 16 you know almost going to be 17 years in whatever it was Dixon still what year 10 or so 11 just slightly different places right Dixon's still the man coming up in the rich core of his career Dario at the at the tail end of it we saw a definite changeover. And so that to me is something where you go, he won that championship in 2013. Whether Dario had or hadn't experienced that terrible crash, uh, he was way of way ahead of him uh, by the time they got to Houston in the championship. Um, while he was uncrowned during Dario's last race as a three-time champion, there was, I don't want to say no question, but... Finished ahead of Elio Castroneves at Fontana. Did so somewhat safely. And here he was, a three-time champ. Added another one in 2015, another one in 2018, another one in 2020. Six-time champion. So, it's a great question. A couple layers to the debate. There's no right answer to it. Head-to-head, Dario was in front. Over those five years, if you average those five years, hindsight, that's what I can tell you there. Looking now, not only does he have two more championships, hope he gets at least one more Indy 500. He certainly deserves them. But the thing I can tell you that is real, Dario has never lacked for self-confidence or demanding his props for all that he achieved and where he should be regarded as such. Scott Dixon is one of the only drivers on the good old Lord's planet where Dario will readily say today, like, that Scott Dixon guy is just on another level. Like... Uh, Dario is not a guy who hands out praise easily or regularly, but when it comes to Dixon, he just shakes his head and says, I don't understand. <laughs> if I had his talent, I would have been unstoppable. Uh, so, yeah, even Dario, outside of the Indy 500, right? He knows how special he was around there. The results show it, but, yeah, even Dario concedes somewhat that, like, yeah, Dixon, uh, Dixon's something altogether, altogether different. All right, going to wind down here. Ryan Caminiti, love your question. Going to save that maybe for the next episode. Brian Friedrich, how are you doing, Brian? Asking if pit pit launches will be powered by the internal combustion engine or the super capacitor-based ERS units. Uh, You say, hope it will be the internal combustion engine. Um, I've heard nothing from IndyCar to say what teams can or can't do with their... Uh, ers units keep in mind they don't store a ton of power nor does the power deployment last super long going from full to almost empty so i don't know the exact answer to that yet i have heard nothing from indycar to say they will Limit, restrict, or force something to be used for leaving from the pits. Every team must use the ERS or not. But this is also a bit of a a traction-related item. That ERS unit will accelerate the car faster from a standstill than the internal combustion engine. Just flat out. It has instant torque, whereas an IndyCar motor does not. See, the drivers have to rev up the motor, drop the clutch, spin the tires. That helps to build heat and traction to leave the pit box quickly, but it's also because if they tried to leave just kind of normally, instead of spinning the tires, there'd be a big kind of bogging down because there's just very little power and torque low in the rev range. That's why they rev them up, drop the clutch, high revs, spins, off they go. They manage the wheel spin as best they can with the right foot because there's no traction control. Would I be surprised to learn, unless IndyCar decides teams cannot use the ERS units for pit launches, would I be surprised to learn that teams will be kind of gaming that a little bit? You don't have to deploy maximum ers power right you could deploy some i mean again it doesn't it's not a everything or nothing thing to my knowledge would teams be game planning that to try and figure out hey based on the grip available on this pit lane at this track this is how much electronic power can take without doing a bunch of wheel spin and effectively give you perfect launches that are crazy fast i would i'll ask brian to find out if there's going to be any kind of limits on ers launches from uh pit lane just because if you look at any of the series that use uh ers units like IMSO with the gtp cars or whatever else i mean they just poof they're gone (laughs) <laughs> the hose electric launches are crazy impressive i don't know what the zero to 60 times happen to be but it's better than lighting up the tires and having a manage wheel spin if you're spinning your tires you're not going forward as much as you possibly could because you're not dealing with maximum or perfect grip uh teams game planning perfect grip using ev launches um I would imagine that's something they would indeed try and come up with. But I will ask. Uh Chris Kalewick, MP, if we look at the smaller teams, do you feel any of their current drivers uh in say Penske or Ganassi quality equipment would be championship contenders? Say think of Pillow, who was at Coin a few years ago, as an example. No. Nobody stands out right now, Chris, as ooh, they're a sleeper title contender in one of the mid-sized teams. Of those that have been close but need to level up, do I see some options there? Yes. Pato Ward at Errol McLaren, if he can button up a few things with some of the decisions he's made behind the wheel, Um, his extremely aggressive nature and how sometimes... That has burned down his tires faster than has been optimal. If he can be, if he can rein himself in, or the team can rein himself in in a couple of situations this season, he absolutely could be in the conversation for a championship. Uh, Kyle Kirkwood, if things go well at Andretti Global, not a lot of cartoon anvils falling and so on. I think that kid could potentially be a champion in his third IndyCar season. Um, I mean, (laughs) uh, Polo did it in a second, right? Uh, Colton Herta has shown us he can be a top three guy. Will he get back to that? Great question. Uh, Potential, yes. Demonstration of it, we will have to see. Uh, Looking outside, Penske and Ganassi, which have won all the championships from 2013 on. Um, Don't know who all is going to be driving at Coin or if anybody would be going for a full season, so yeah i don't think we have anything there to talk about from a title contending standpoint uh nobody i put in that category at fault uh, at Foyt. at fault what am i saying i'm not drunk but let me take another sip <sighs> i'd love to tell you it magically got better um nobody at hunkos honger racing nobody at ed carpenter racing nobody at meyer shank Lundgaard wild card for sure but that team that ray hall team would have to take a huge leap to have him be more than you know seventh or eighth in the championship getting up to second or third like that would be massive but again the kid finished eighth uh as a sophomore so that in and of itself deserves a ton of praise but yeah um i realize they're basically right there in terms of size of team and budget and all that but aaron mclaren and andretti are really the two that jump out pato kirkwood herta lingard's maybe the only one outside of them that jumps out as a possibility that's where it stops Ah, where else do we go uh oh chris also asks what is my favorite mastodon album yeah it says can't beat leviathan or blood mountain um yeah i have enjoyed blood mountain for sure um crack the sky is the one that i rocked for years upon years upon years is my favorite and there's a special uh edition of that where it's not just the good old album but it's also also the instrumentals for all of the songs on crack the sky which is oh boy that is just ridiculous the one that i got into a lot over the last maybe two years, which I'd had, but I just I hadn't loved it, but I'd listened to it more as the Hunter. Like, wow, that is crazy. But um my go to's tend to be once more round the sun. And for those who don't know who have Mastodon happens to be kind of a prog metal band or so, uh based out of Georgia. Uh members from all other places, but uh, those two jump out. Uh, I should say yeah, crack the sky, probably longest term favorite once more round the sun I love but really if I had a you could only take one mastodon album with you for the rest of your life to listen to that proverbial desert island disc. 2017s emperor of sand. Oh boy that is uh, that is just pure. Delight, but sounds like you've been kind of an OG day one person uh, by the two albums you referenced. And that's your uh, Mastodon chat this week, the Week in IndyCar show. Uh, Matt Philpott, Marshall, Do the new magnesium components in the cars present a higher fire risk. I, I can't shake the picture of James Davison's magnesium wheel in flames at the Indy 500 in 2020. And sure hope nothing could combust uh, back there by a hot engine. I mean, magnesium, yeah, doesn't necessarily burst into flames all of a sudden because, but there are some, there is one key safety management difference. Safety management, I don't know, just decided to call it that. Um, so, fire extinguishers, obviously, pretty common in terms of, hey, there's a fire, apply that extinguishant, and who knows what it might be. It might... Uh, rob the oxygen oxygen molecules from the flame who knows what that extinguisher might do but that's the thing that helps put out a fire um you also have water cannons um basically extinguisher bottles with compressed water used we see those used frequently um after a fuel fill is completed a hot pit stop spray the buckeye dilute the water i use the water to dilute the uh, fuel prevent a fire from happening also not uncommon to see those water canisters sprayed in the direction of a fire um, that's the thing you don't want to do with magnesium because it loves the oxygen in those water and the oxygen molecules in the water and actually makes the fire worse so i have this uh thanks to you brother just added to another hey i need to ask the series about what have they done to brief the AMR safety team and any regional track support, emergency support folks, corner workers, and whatnot about, hey, if you have a fire going on, in particular at the back of the car, uh, here's the way to handle it. That works perfectly with the rise in magnesium, the bell housing and transmission. Um, John, why are you got a question here? I think I might have asked our guy, Jerry, to carry this over from last week, um, we're late enough in the show where I'm going to ask for this to get carried over to the next. And, Jerry, if we can move it towards the front. Uh, I just don't like answering great long questions that require long answers at the end of a long show because uh, they warrant more introspection. Um, two to go. Three to go. Uh, Darren King, you ask, is there an event in Indian May that you get to just enjoy as a fan? Um... Not that I can think of, Darren, but I probably need to find something. I know this is like a lame excuse, but other than getting to do a couple of like, hey, let's go to the Foyt wine cellar with some of the Prude listener group members and just like have fun. Like those have really been about the only non-work social just for me type things that I end up getting to do. Like It's often like getting to go over to the IMS Museum, which I realize is going to be torn apart and being renovated, uh, but go spend an hour over there looking at things. That's a little bit of personal time or a dinner with a friend kind of thing. Last year, uh, we did a farewell dinner for TK for his last 500, which was great. Um, Davey First from IndyCar showed up. Steve Shunk was there. Mario Andretti was the special guest, which was fun. And that was a great two hours or whatever. But tends to be little pockets of stuff like that, Darren. So, uh, yeah, if there's an event you're thinking of that isn't the Indy 500, let me know and I'll see if I can take it in. Uh, The memorabilia show is really, (laughs) that's my personal time. That's my favorite thing just about my favorite thing to go to each year that isn't a motor race or isn't something you know kind of personal slash something my wife and i would do but actual here's an individual passion of my own motor racing memorabilia going to that show is like that's my that's my thing um but yeah it's little pockets of stuff but it really is however many weeks i'm there work like my job is to travel and do my work remotely (laughs) at places and so uh it's mostly work i would imagine if i lived in indy and my wife and i were there i'd probably have a different approach during the month of may Uh, having to be there be a husband be all the things that come with that which are awesome um i don't so i'm there solo and so I end up pretty much working the whole time and into the nights. Uh, NBA playoffs is something I'll enjoy, but that's just on TV. And since I don't know if my Warriors are going to be involved in any of that this year, who knows? But that's the answer there. Uh, Lance Snyder, you say, looking over the items in the Pruitt store, I see something missing. When do we get a Marshall Pruitt bobblehead? Oh, Jesus. I thought you already had one, Lance. It was the He's about 6'1", uh, 300 and whatever pounds and uh yeah uh you got a life-size one dude you seriously do not want a miniaturized version of that because that would just be depressing uh although i do think our friends at trying motorsports.com might have floated the idea of doing one or maybe it was like a plush toy and even that is even more scary but yeah there was something that Derek koska tried a couple years ago but came back and said uh it would be just prohibitively expensive. And it was his idea. It was really cool that he came up with, but came back and said, yeah, uh, cost too much. And you know, no one would buy them because you know, people have sense. So, uh, we'll close the show with one, uh, here that again, apologies for the Pruitt hour, but yeah, uh, geez, this really is going over. Uh, hey Jerry, we might need to cut down the amount of questions. Cause clearly, uh, by about a third, cause I keep falling into this hour, 20 hour, 30 range. Uh, let me see how quickly I can answer this one. It's from our friend Brian Cohn. Just marched on a podcast last week. You mentioned a certain person tried three times within a week to get you fired over something you wrote. Uh, that'd be Roger Penske. Uh, have things like this, along with the quote, everything is fine mentality, given you second thoughts on how you cover IndyCar as a whole? It's an awesome question, Brian. Um, see, so I can't get past the trying to get you fired part really changed my opinion of us of certain people it says best wishes to your wife shabrell and you and your furry little putty tats um didn't change how I cover anything brian um changed my view of certain folks of like went from having respect to zero respect uh because no respect was being given to me and so I hope that doesn't sound in kind of a tit-for-tat kind of thing. It's just more of like, well, your actions clearly speak to having no respect for me or my profession. And so I, except for family elders, right? Family, where you go, all right, you know, uh, I certainly don't love some of the things you think or say or do, but we're blood. And I might not accept those things that you do, but, or say, but we are bound by blood, and that is different than folks who aren't blood, aren't colleagues, don't work for one another, aren't employed by one another, truly, again, just orbit one another. That, to me, is a different thing. Um, The trying to get me fired three times in a span of five days thing... Uh, last year in and around and just after thermal uh, in breaking one story um, the loss of respect thing had actually already happened a couple months prior at Daytona in December of 2022 Um, I think I've shared that story a couple times Um, and yeah that was just full like zero respect going forward because of your behavior. Your actions. Um, and that's where it has stayed since. So, what happened a couple months later at Thermal was very on brand. Um, I have since broken one or two things. Again, I've broken whatever, however, however that should be phrased. It's not meant to be so much of a personal thing. It's just, it certainly comes back in a personal way. But, like, The most recent one being uh, the stories with Honda about them looking to leave. There has been a change. And that is, instead of firing directly at me or um, my primary clients at Racer, um, I think there's just been a general sense of giving up, of like, guy's a heretic beyond salvation. No need to even bother. Like that guy is just the loony, insane dog that barks all day long. Just leave him alone. There's no fixing him. Don't try and pet him. Just leave him be. This thing's permanently broken. Don't even waste your breath. I think that's where I've fallen because I've stopped getting calls, stopped getting emails, stopped getting what any of that stuff. And so I don't say any of this in any kind of, like, cool, ballsy, bravado-esque way. I'm just sharing the truth. Like, um, what I hear is those who might say something, the person who would give the quotes and a story that would enrage uh, Penske Entertainment, them getting the flamethrower turned on them. Uh, But, yeah, haven't had it turned on me in a little while. Hasn't changed how I do anything or anything that I write, Brian. If you look at the racer mailbag each week, if I get questions that call for very clear and direct criticism of the series, its owner, or whomever, I never shy away from it. Sometimes it gets so repetitive with the questions, I'll try and take a humorous or just different tact because it's like... How many times can I say how financially strict and cheap um ownership happens to be or whatever the thing is, but no um the the power behind this is i'm super fortunate and thankful that the owner of Racer has my back a thousand percent and I've written things, said things over the 10, 12 years, whatever it is I've been there that's been disagreed with and have been told. hey, don't like it, not a fan. it's your opinion, it's your whatever if your sourcings correct and act okay, get it but just telling you really I'm not there with you on this. Um, and then at the same time that those instances have been super rare like once a year maybe with this stuff uh it's been a thousand percent support nope doing your job perfectly sourced uh the folks who you spoke to i know they've spoken with me in some instances brian some of the stuff that i've written that has enraged penske entertainment um racers ownership might have known about it before i did um who knows But I can tell you that's been the really great thing. It's what every journalist hopes for, which is backup, full support, got your back, do your thing, go hard, do it correctly, do it accurately and respectfully, but do not shy away. Um, And so, yeah, hasn't changed a thing. Um, I've got one item that I know of right now that could very easily lead to a nuclear meltdown reaction. I've got another one that's maybe not as nuclear, but certainly is gonna be crazy grumpy. And I'll have to look through some more. Um, Doing my work, doing my due diligence, calling people, getting folks to inform me to a higher level, tell me what they know to be true, taking that info, Running that across someone else who knows the thing, saying, "Hey, this person over here—I'm not telling you who, but I've heard this from this person over here. Does that sound right to what you know about this situation?" And so on. And again, it's the norm, the way of doing things. But look, I'll just close with this: I wish everything I was able to write about all the series that I cover is awesome and amazing, nothing but love and perfection, and they're kicking ass. Taking names, just wonderful. I wish that is what I could do. I have no desire to write anything critical or negative. It's not what makes me happy. I just want to be happy. Happiness is what makes me happy. I want to be in that state as often as I can. If there's something that is not happy that needs to be written about, that's just as much of doing my job. Make for an interesting chapter in an autobiography. That's how I think of this stuff, Brian. Thanks again to y'all for your questions. Look forward to speaking to y'all next week. Try and pump out a couple more podcasts this week. Um, Not necessarily IndyCar, but a variety of other things that I hope you will enjoy. If you can, please check out the Pruitt store and take home whatever it is that might interest you. Look for some new things going up there soon. And thanks once again to FAF Technologies, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. I'll speak to you soon.